Good to have everybody here. Hey, would you pray with me? And let's dive into the word. Father, we thank you that you are here, that you are actively changing our lives. That if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, then we are being transformed day after day after day. Your word says there's a renewing of our mind. We thank you that of everything we've done in our life, as many times we've messed up as we've blown it, that we are totally and completely forgiven in what Jesus has done on the cross. That his death on the cross covers over everything that we've done wrong. That his blood covers it, Father. And that his sacrifice is enough. That there's nobody in this room that has done more, blown it more, done anything that we cannot deserve it. That you are here and that you are present. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. We are one week away from Easter. I don't know how old I was when this, is ha- when this happened, but it was like one of those life-changing moments I had. I was, probably, I was probably in junior high or younger, and I really struggled with lying growing up. And so I had lied. I don't remember what I lied about. I lied about dumb stuff. I lied to get out of trouble. But this time I lied, and my dad caught me. And he called me in the living room, Josiah, get in the living room. And it was a stern kind of tone, but I was like, okay, like, let's see what's going on here. And when I got in the living room, he said, Josiah, you know, did you steal? And I was, or whatever I did, you know, Josiah, did you do something wrong? I go, uh, no. No, I didn't do that, whatever you said I did. And then, of course, like multiple times, my dad's like, well, what about this proof right here? And he caught me in the fact that I lied. And so I expected my dad to get really angry. You know, I expected him to get frustrated with me. Why'd you lie to me again? Son, blah, 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 we have a good relationship. That's not what, what happened. My dad decided to take another approach. And so he I was, you know, just this tall, and he got on his knees, and we were, you know, face-to-face, eye-level with one another. Disclaimer, parents of the room, I'm not necessarily encouraging you to take this method. It's very risky. My dad looked at me, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Josiah, I want you to slap me. I didn't know if this was a trick to get more discipline in my life or more, like, I didn't know what was going on. He said, Josiah, I want you to slap me. And I said, no, not falling for that trick, no. He said, Josiah, I want you to slap me. I said, no. And he's he's getting more and more stern. He's not angry. I expected him, maybe he'd be frustrated or angry with me, but he's getting more and more stern. Josiah, slap me. I'm like, no, Josiah, slap me. Josiah, slap me. And he's getting more stern. I'm just a young guy. And I'm at this point, like, like not understanding, and I'm starting to get emotional. He's like, Josiah, slap me. I'm like, no, Josiah, slap me. Josiah, slap me. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that, no. And to the point where he slapped himself hard. I mean, it was, he's a boom. And I'm just like, what is going on in this moment right here? This is reverse discipline. <laughs> And he slapped himself, and he told me this lesson. He taught me this lesson. He was trying to teach me about telling the truth. And he told me this. He said, Josiah, every time you lie, it's like you're slapping God in the face. 
slapping God in the face. He says, God has called us to be truthful. He's called us to be honest. And when you lie, it's the language of the devil. That's what the Bible says. It's like you're slapping God in the face when you're telling a lie. I'll tell you what, I never forgot that. I'll tell you something else. He never tried that technique again. I think that's too big of a risk for you to go, you know, oh and two with that. But I've had those moments before, and we've all had those moments where you go into a room and you expect somebody, you did something wrong or whatever, and you expect somebody to have a certain type of disposition or emotions. We feel the same way when we're around somebody and we know that they're, you come into the house and they say, hey, watch out for this person. They're in a mood today, right? You've heard that? And you kind of like, you're like, okay, don't go near them because they're going to snap. They're going to be short with somebody. And every once in a while, there's somebody who's just in a mood. And I, I like to think about daily life and see how that interacts and integrates with what we study in the Word. And one of the things I've found in kind of our daily life or conversations with people about Jesus, about God, is a lot of times there's an understanding that we're, there's kind of an expectation of God's emotion, right? How God feels. And a lot of times I talk with people and they say, well, God's angry. God's an angry God. He just wants to punish people or what I'm going through in my life is because God wants to, to do this to me. And, you know, I just kind of view God as this as kind of this old guy in the sky who's angry. He's just angry. And, and he, he wants me to pay the punishment for my wrongs and this type of stuff and that. And as we've gone through this series called Different Jesus, I thought I want to speak on that today. I want to speak on this idea that we have sometimes or people have that God is just angry in the clouds waiting to strike you with lightning. And I want to speak to the, what the Bible says God's heart for people is. I, I want to point to a passage in Luke. It's actually in Luke chapter 15. It's a very famous passage. A lot of you guys will recognize it as I read it. It's the story about the prodigal son. The prodigal son. And I don't think there's a better passage in Scripture that shows the heart of God than this passage in Luke chapter 15. And if you're ever trying to understand, well, how does God, what's, what's really God's heart like? I'm telling you, this is one of the most clear passages of what God's heart is when we fail, when we blow it, and when we really mess up. And so I want you to dive in with me. I want you to come with an open mind to say, okay, what is God's heart really like? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. So Jesus is speaking to religious people. He's speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees, which are the religious people of the day. And basically, they had a problem that Jesus would spend so much time with sinners and tax collectors. It was kind of the worst people of the day were sinners and tax collectors, People that were just, hey, the, the, some of the religious people didn't even think that you should share the truth of God, the scriptures with these types of people. And the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these were people that would sometimes have the first five books of the Bible memorized to memory. I mean, these were very, very, they knew the word, they knew Genesis, they knew Exodus, and they really had a problem that Jesus spent so much time with sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus gives three stories, and this is the third story about talking, going after the lost. Verse 11 again. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after, the younger son got all together, all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm showing you the heart of God, but I'm giving you a path to experiencing that heart of God. And so I'm gonna talk through five quick things of returning to God or experiencing God's heart. Number one, if you're writing down notes. Number one, we need to come to our senses. Come to our senses. So this whole situation's playing out. Jesus is telling us a parable or a story, and he's trying to explain to these religious people how God interacts or views sinners. Like, what's God's heart for the lost people of the world, the outcasts of the world, the people that are pushed to the side? God Almighty, what is his heart for those people? And Jesus tells us this story of a father who had two sons, a younger and an older. The younger son comes in and says, listen, I want my half of the inheritance. He gets that half of the inheritance. He travels off to a foreign land, spends it, lives a lavish lifestyle, blows his money, and then a famine hits the country that he's in, and he's in a bad situation. So what do you do when you're out of money and you're in a foreign country? Well, you go find a job. And the job that's available to him is a job of feeding pigs in a field. Now, you know, most people know that Jewish people don't eat pork, right? It's talked about in Leviticus. So this for him as a Jewish boy was the lowest of the low job. Now, it wasn't only feeding pigs in a field, but he's a Jewish person who's feeding pigs in a field, which would make him ceremonially unclean, which was a huge deal in that day. And so he's at a, a low breaking point in his life to the point that not only is he in a job that he doesn't like, with money he doesn't have, far away from home, but he's so hungry that he wants to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. That's his situation. And all of us in our life, many of us go through moments and times that we didn't expect us to be there. You wake up one day and you're in a situation that you never thought you'd be in. Your story's not how it, you thought it would pan out. You're doing things that you never thought you would do. And you, sometimes we wake up to the reality that the life that we're living is not the life that we want. Coming to your senses or waking up to the reality is the first step to returning to God. In verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, living his life, he's at the rock bottom low moment. It says, when he came to his senses, when he woke up, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? He's sitting there, his stomach's growling. He's looking at the pig's food thinking, I, I, I might just grab some of it and eat it for myself. And, and he's just 
a low point in his life. He says, and here I am starving to death. And this just this lightning bolt, this moment, he has clarity. He just has his eyes open for the first time. And he's saying, why am I living the way that I'm living? I'm in a foreign country feeding pigs, starving to death. I should just go back home to dad. You're in a situation, you've been to a place that you don't enjoy, you don't like where you're at right now. It's how you step one is waking up to realize and acknowledging that you're in a place that you don't like. Sometimes we have a hard time just realizing and waking up to the fact that we don't like where we're at. Sometimes we get so caught in the cycle of just repeating things over and over and over again. We don't like the life that we're living, but we're just stuck in this mess. And sometimes we think there's no other way to live. This is my life. This is the box that I'm in. And there's just a moment that all of us need to have where we just wake up and say, there's more to life than this. I don't have to be living this way. But let me tell you the scary thing. Oftentimes, the wake-up moment, the come-to-your-senses moment, oftentimes that moment comes from a rock-bottom experience where you've lost everything. So many people in this room that are Christians that have made a decision to follow Jesus, when you tell me your story, I've heard your story, it comes off the heels of something painful. It comes off a marriage that was destroyed and you lost everything and you never thought that that marriage would end and you came to a church, you met a Christian in your life and you were broken and telling your story and just saying you were so lost and they pointed you to Jesus. So many times it comes from uh, an incident where you're in trouble with the law and there's a breaking moment or you're addicted to something and you keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. You're depressed and you're looking at taking and ending your life and you feel like I'm at rock bottom. There's no place lower than this. And in that moment is oftentimes where we as humans, as broken as we are, is where we find God. Because so many times we write off God before that moment is, that's for weak people, that's for this, that's for that. I don't need that in my life, those people like that. But you know what? When you lose everything, when everything's stripped from you, when you're at rock bottom without the answers, you start looking for something else. This younger son was at rock bottom. The only thing that shook him out of his situation was the fact that he had lost everything. He was out of options. But God so often enters into our story at our broken moments. At the moment when everything's been stripped from us, oftentimes God in his grace and sovereignty enters into your life knowing that at your rock bottom would be the only time you'd ever open your heart to receive the gospel of Jesus. See, God can use rock bottoms. God can use your brokenness. God can use the things that have been stripped from your life. God can use those moments and often does use those moments to call humans to him. I talk with a lot of people who have been away from God and are living an empty life And I'll tell you this, though, what I've seen. I know 
that when people have experienced brokenness in their life, I know that it needs to bring a sustainable change in their life. I remember talking to a guy not too long ago and he came to me, and I've known this guy for a long time, and he came to me after service, and I knew the background of his situation and what he was going through. He was, got in major trouble with the law, and, and he was looking at time in front of him. And I'm having this conversation with him after service, a young guy, and, and uh, he's telling me about how he wants to change, and pastor, I need to, I, I know this is my wake up moment, I need to be in groups, I need to, I'm gonna start coming to church and this and that. Let me be honest with you as a pastor. I wish, I wish that I wasn't as skeptical as I am. That's me being real honest with you. I wish that the only motivation to changing in somebody's life was not a court case that was coming two months down the road. Bet a lot of those. Pastor, I'm gonna change my life, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna take all these steps. And the moment the court case goes right, they're out, they're gone. And what I saw with this, with this friend of mine, I saw him, I'm gonna take the changes. There was a short spurt of, of, good, of, of, of good deeds and good actions because he felt the weight of the consequences. But you know what happened? After a short amount of time, he went, did something else, and now he's facing more time. And I don't say that to say, woe is him or this. I feel for him. But you know what the reality is? The reality is what, what 2 Corinthians, um, uh, this verse 10 says. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, if you just feel bad about the consequences of what you've done, that's not enough to bring life-sustaining change. What you need is real godly sorrow, brokenness over the actions that you've done to produce real life change. We all, get, we all feel bad of the, of the fact that we get caught in our sins sometimes. But it's not about just feeling bad about getting caught in your sin. It's do you really understand the damage that that's done? And are you willing to use that as a catalyst to see true transformation in your life? God uses wake-up moments. And in this young boy's life, God was using a wake-up moment. Number two. Not only is it coming to your senses, but it's also closing the distance. Closing the distance. Listen to what the verse 18 says. Verse 18, he says, man, it's better to live. What, what am I doing here? Let me go back to dad. And then he says this, I will set out and go back to my father. You know, I have a, well, she passed away a couple months ago, but we had this little dog. Her name was Angel. She was a Shih Tzu. We had her for 16 years. People that are looking to get dogs, that's a long time. 16 years we had this dog. She was a great dog, though. But when she was young, she had so much energy. And sometimes we'd leave the door open and she'd escape out the backyard. And I'll tell you what, this dog would run for her life run for her life. We'd hear a shriek from the house. My mom would go, Angel's out, I see her, the neighbor. And it would be Grant running out shirtless with no shoes on or me running out through the house and we're like crazy people running. And I'll tell you what Angel did. This is what Angel did every time. She was a small dog, but she was smart. Anytime that you would get close to Angel, you know, we tried little techniques. Angel, treat, treat, treat. And she's like, I ain't falling for that. Like, angel, like, treat, treat, come on, like, it's nice in the house, it's warm, no coyotes, come on, treat, treat. 
and you're like going closer, and she, she'd wait, and you get close, and she, you should get close, and right when you were about to like make that lunge, she would just bolt off, bolt off, and then stop again and look like, you gonna keep coming for me? <laughs> and she was a great dog, and you know, eventually we'd be able to catch her. But I was thinking, I was reflecting on this passage, I was thinking about how do we as people often think, I felt this way so many times with God until I, until I really started understanding scripture. I felt like God was like a little bit sometimes like the way my dog treated me. Like anytime I got close, God was always a little bit further away. And I would get close and I'm like, God, I'm pursuing. And God was always like, it always felt like God was out of reach for me. It always felt like he's just a little bit too far for me. It's like I push in and you're too far. And then I started trusting what scripture said. And scripture, listen to James 4.8. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. In other words, God's not like, when you're coming close, God's not running away. God is right there present. And when you draw near, he's drawing near to you. He wants a relationship with you. He's calling you to himself. And it's interesting that in the story, it's the son who departs and leaves from the dad because he wants to go live his own way. And how true is that for so many of us? Yeah, you grew up around religious things. You, you know about God, but you know what? I want to live my own way. So we depart from the things of God and we say, you know what? I'm going to go live wild. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to experience and experiment with life. And God's always over there. I can always come back. But I just need to live life how it is. And in this story... The son left the father, but you know what? The father was always right here. He never ran away from the son. It was the son that ran away from the father. And there's something so important about understanding that in closing the distance, we need to understand that it's not God who moved, it's us. God didn't abandon you, you abandoned God. God didn't run from you, you ran from God. Well, how did I run? Because you wanted to follow and live your own way. And God said, that's not the way I've called you to live. But closing the distance doesn't just mean pursuing God. It means realizing you have to go back to the Father. And that's what it says in the verse. I will set out and go back to my Father. But let me say this. For the Son to go back to his Father he needed to leave behind the life that he was living. For you to experience God in all that God is, for you to live the life that you truly want to live, for you to get out of that rock bottom and live the life that God has called you to live, the good life that is in him, the narrow path, you have to be willing to leave your old life behind. You cannot have both God and the old life that you were living. Either you will release God and step fully into that lifestyle, or you will release that lifestyle and fully come back to the Father. When you close the distance, it's understanding that closing the distance is pressing into God, but it's not just reading your Bible, it's not just praying, it's also repentance. 
Repentance is a changing of the mind, a leaving of the old behind. It's I was going this way and now I'm turning and I'm going this way. That's what true repentance is. And Jesus said you must believe and repent. Believe and repent. The son had chose to live his own life his way, the way he wanted to, apart from the Father. And for him to return and to have the transformed life that he wanted to, it was more than just looking at God. It was leaving behind the old life, saying, that I'm not gonna choose anymore because I want this in God. Number three. Number three. We're talking about returning to God. We're talking about experiencing God. Number three. Confess your sins. Let's follow the track here. He says, I will set out and go back to my father. And then he says, and say to him. So he's thinking about the inner dialogue of what he's gonna say to his dad once he returns. He's saying, hey, I really blew it. I really messed up. And life with dad was better, so I need to return there. But I need to think through the game plan of what I'm gonna say and what I really mean. And he said, I'm gonna say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Let me say this. Anytime that you sin against a person, you're also sinning against God. Every person is made in the image of God. When we sin against somebody that's made in the image of God, we're sinning against the creator that created them as well. And so Jesus is echoing a pattern for us of confession that when we confess our sin, we need to understand the gravity of our sin. When we sin against a person, it affects that person's life. But we're also sinning against God as well. We see this in the New Testament with Christians as well. Peter is an ax. There's a married couple, and they sell their property, and they tell Peter, we're giving all of our money we're giving all of our money to the church, but they lied and held some of it back. And so the, the, the husband tells Peter, the apostle Peter this, and Peter says, so you're giving all of it, right? And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, we're giving all of it. And he goes, why would you, this is what the language he says. He says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Well, what's he talking about? Well, why is he saying lie to the Holy Spirit? He lied to Peter. Well, the Holy Spirit lives within Peter. Not only, not only is he made in the image of God, but he's also a follower of Jesus, so he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within his body, and when he lied to him, he lied to the Holy Spirit. See, sin has ripple effects in our life. Sin is missing the mark. God's called us to live a certain way. We fall short, or we, we're aiming for it, and we miss the target of the life that God has called us to live. And let me have a, a news flash for everybody that's in the room, starting with myself. We've all sinned and fallen short. Every single person in here has blown it in one way or another, and I can guarantee it's to the thousands and thousands and thousands. We've lied, we've, che we've cheated, we've stolen, We've used God's name in vain. James says to know to do good and not do it is sin. So there's things that we've known that are good that we just haven't done that sin. We've missed the mark. I mean, we could go on and on and on, and I would have a long list just like everybody in this room, but each and every one of us has fallen and sinned and fallen short of the mark. And confession, confession is such an important part of us returning to God. 
Because confession is not just admitting or saying my sins out loud or, or to God. Confession is acknowledging and agreeing with God that my sin is wrong. It's interesting sometimes what we label or call sin. I won't say her name, you guys will know who I'm talking about, but there was a famous actress not too long ago that cheated on her husband, and she called the cheating, she did an interview and they said, you know, so, you know, you cheated. And she said, well, it was an entanglement. <laughs> and we're all watching from home like, entanglement? You mean you slept with somebody while you were married? That's called an affair. It was an entanglement, and her husband calls her out. It's just interesting sometimes how we like to call things different things so they don't feel as bad, right? Affair, ah, oh, that hurts, stings a little bit. I don't want to say cheated on somebody. Entanglement. You lied to somebody? Yeah, 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 I lied, but it was a white lie. You know, is that even as bad? Go out and party, get just hammered, slammed, drunk. You, you, did you drink? Were you getting drunk? Nah, I was having fun. I was just with the boys. Have a little fun. There's something about when we wake up, we wake up from our state of stupor. There's something when we wake up in the bed next to somebody that we don't know, and we realize, this is not the life that I want to live. And there's something about acknowledging, you say, I can call it this, culture calls it this, society says it's okay, but you know what? God calls it something different. And if God calls it sin, then I want to call it what God calls it because you know what? God is the creator of the world and sets the rules. And so I trust in him that it is that. You know what? And sin is sin. Sin is sin regardless if it's legal, if it's not legal. We look to the Bible. We look to the truth of the word of God, knowing that it's supernatural and from, from God himself, believing and saying that will always be truth. It's not old, archaic things because it's in the Bible. Truth is truth and always truth. It's always truth. And so we could call it different things, but there's something in our walk with God when we want to step away and we want to return. And God's like, I want you to call it what it is. That's what confession is. I want you to call it what it is. Stop downplaying it. Don't excuse it. Don't push it off and say, well, I was feeling bad, so that's why I did. No, 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 no. Call it what it is because confession is agreeing with God that your sin is sin and it's wrong. This younger son knew that he sinned, he knew that it was wrong, and he called it what it is. He said, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. He said, that's what I'm gonna say to my dad when I see him. I'm not gonna try to excuse it. I was young, I didn't understand. Or I was just trying to have fun. He said, I'm going to own up to what I did. I'm not gonna blow it off. I am not innocent in this fact. Number four, we need to change our attitude. Listen to how this son this is his speech to his dad. Listen to what he says next. Not only does he say, Dad, I blew it, I sinned, I failed, I want to call it what it is, but then verse 19, he said, he's going to say to his dad, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, a son is a son. You always have that, st you always have that stature. You always have that place in the household. But if you're a hired servant in that day, you can be removed, you can be fired, you can be let go. This son, is so aware 
that he blew it, that he messed up, that he failed, that he embarrassed the family, that it's just, he realizes the gravity of how big he's blown it, and he's not saying, Dad, you know what? Let me be your son again, and let me just enjoy what comes from being in your household. No, 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 he's saying, Dad, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. I blew it that bad. Can I just be a hired servant? Would you just give me a shot of just being a hired servant? I don't deserve that. Listen to how his language changes from the first verses. The young son, when he was prideful, when he was arrogant, when he wanted to live his own life, the language he used was, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate, Dad. Give me what I want. But as he was broken, as he was humbled, as he was lowered, his language changed to make me like one of your hired men. I, I don't deserve to come back and be a son. I don't deserve to have those things that I could have as a son. Would you just give me a chance to be a hired hand He's saying, I'm no longer worthy. He's lowering himself and humbling himself. And listen to what James 4, 6 says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. True transformation always comes through the door of humility. I remember talking to somebody very close to me, and they really struggled with drugs a lot in their life and really grew up well, had a, good, had a good situation growing up, but really struggled with drugs for years. And I had a conversation one-on-one with them. I remember having that conversation and I'm like, bro, I know you've done rehab before, but you really need to get back in rehab. You're, you're messed up right now, man. Like you really, and, and he, I remember having a conversation with my dad, unfortunately, about this person. And I said, you know what? I said, that person, they, they don't, they don't want to, go to rehab again. They think they know that, that's too good. I, I don't need to be around a bunch of addict people like me and addicted people like me, and I don't need to be in that setting. Like, that's for somebody else. Like, I'm better than that. I could beat it on my own. Like, this is the language he was telling me. And I remember talking to my dad, and I said, man, I want him to stay clean so bad, so, so bad. And I said, but I just, I hear pride still. I hear pride. You know what pride sounds like? I could do this on my own. I don't need other people. I'm strong enough. It's a pride. I, I got this. You do you. I, I got, I can do my, I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm intelligent. I get enough resources. I could do this on my own. Pride cannot acknowledge weakness. It can't acknowledge weakness. And it takes humility and weakness to lower yourself and say, you know what? I'm in a situation that I need other people to help me out of. I'm in a situation that I need the power of God to help me break through. I'm in a situation where I'm stuck. I've got myself here and I need help. There's something about humbling yourself that truly is the door to true transformation and change. My marriage is never gonna change, but she, she needs to change her actions. She needs to change, and then, then I'll come to her and apologize. You know what that is? Pride. Pride, oh man, I can read it, smell it. I've been around people that are prideful, and you know what? It's so sneaky sometimes in our life, guys. It sneaks into my life sometimes. It's like, I don't need to apologize for that. They need to come to me. I don't need, it's, it's pride. 
I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to lower myself. You need to get in counseling. I'm not gonna go to counseling. I'm counseling, counseling for people that have their life jacked up. I'm like, have you seen your life, bro? Like somebody, you know who I'm talking about. You guys know people in your life like I do that are, their life is so train wrecked. There's some people that won't come to the altar. It's like, I'm not gonna get on my knees and, and show people that I need prayer. It's like, you know what that is? That's not self-righteousness. That's pride. That's pride. That's saying, I, I'm not gonna show people how weak. That's pride. And pride opposes God. It's like mosquito repellent you spray on yourself and it keeps mosquitoes away. That's what pride is. When we spray ourselves, when we're prideful, God's like, I don't wanna be around that. I don't wanna be around what you got going on because you're saying I don't need anybody, I don't need anything. Humility is like perfume, cologne, scented candle. It draws in, it's beautiful, it smells great. And God gives grace to the humble. Let me finish with number five. Not only do we need to change our attitude, but we get to the brass tacks here. Number five, we need to commit to action. He comes up with the game plan. This younger son comes up with the whole game plan of how he's gonna, he's gonna go back home and he's gonna tell his dad that he sinned against heaven, he sinned against him, and, and he's not worthy to be a son. Just let him be a hired servant. He has the whole speech in his mind. He's thinking through what he needs to do. It's genuine, it's real. But, but you know what? If it just stops there, his life never changes. If it just stops there, he never leaves the pig's pen. If it just stops there, he never lives the life that he wants to. And it's so easy to come up with a master plan for your life of how it's gonna change and what it could be. But you know what? Real transformation, it comes through humility, but it's not just looking at the door of humility. It's taking a step through it and living out the action, living out the steps, living out the truth that is found in God. It's not just knowing the plan, it's executing the plan. He knew he needed to go home. He knew he needed to talk to dad. He knew he needed to get things right. But you know how difficult it is to take that step and go there? You know the embarrassment, the shame that he was, he didn't know how his dad was gonna respond. He's thinking, I'm gonna be an outcast. My older brother's gonna tell me, I knew you failed. The whole community's gonna look at me. Like I'm never gonna be able to, you know, you, you blew it, your whole family, you're, what an idiot. He, he's going back to thinking that, everybody's gonna be against me. I've blown it, I failed, my dad may not even accept me. He's playing out the whole scenario, but he's saying, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. I've humbled myself, I've lost everything. I have nowhere else to go but to go home, and hopefully he'll accept me as a hired hand, but it says clearly, one verse in scripture, so he got up and went. So he got up and didn't just feel sorry, he didn't just have the thought, got up and went. And the final verses of this passage expose to us as human beings the true nature of the heart of God. Scripture is divine revelation. We cannot know anything about God that he doesn't reveal to us. Even with his inspired and holy scripture and reading it, we cannot fully understand God. Even with the thousands of pages we have of scripture, we still can only understand God to our finite ability. But God wanted you to know this about his heart. Think about that for a moment. God 
wanted you to know this about his heart. As his created being, as human beings, God, who's divine, has revealed this truth because he wants you to understand his heart and how he responds to you and me when we failed and blown it. How is his response? Is it angry? Is it ready to smite us and tear us down? What is the response of God to humans who come humbly before his throne, don't feel like we deserve anything and say, God, we're coming to you because we're out of options. Here's God's response. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, this is the speech. He's been rehearsing it. He's been rehearsing it every step of the journey the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve this, Dad. I don't deserve to be, I don't deserve to be your son. I'm just asking for this. I don't have anything to go to. I'm asking for this. And the father responds to his broken fragmented, humbled son. By looking at his servants and saying, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. The reason that Jesus came down from heaven, the only one who was descended from heaven, for all eternity, Jesus has resided in heaven, a perfect paradise, his kingdom. But it was planned before the foundations of the world, before the universe was ever created, it was planned that God would send his son to be born of a virgin. It was a mystery that was predicted and prophesied, but none of the prophets fully understood even the words that they were saying. They just knew that God would provide a way. Prophesied hundreds of times. Read Isaiah 53. It talks about the piercing of Jesus' hands. That's written 600 years before Jesus is ever born. Read Zechariah about how Jesus has prophesied that he will come in on Palm Sunday riding a donkey. Read Daniel chapter 7 about the Son of Man prophesied through the Holy Scriptures and maintained so that we could read and understand that Jesus was God's answer to save humanity. Jesus was God's answer to save you and me. And he wants you and me to understand in our brokenness as much as we feel that we fail and we're broken and we're fragmented and God could never accept the list of things that I've done wrong, that I failed. God could never, he accepts you guys as sons and daughters, but God could never accept me if you only knew how messed up my life was. 
and yet the Father has been pursuing you. And in this moment of your existence, wanted you and me to know his heart. That just after those first steps, he looks off in the distance and he sees you. He's not waiting for you to come 100% to him. He sees you and he's running to you to embrace you and to celebrate that his child has found his way or her way back to the Father. God has pursued some of you in this room for years and you've been unwilling to listen until you were at a point where you had no other choice but to listen because you're out of options. And there comes a moment in your life where you as a being, a created being by a creator that you've yet to know, hear words that are trickled to your soul and you so understand them that you can't deny it in the moment that it's true. You know how I know this? Because I've been there. And you know in the moment that the words that you're hearing from a person that you don't know our truth, and our only job is to respond. Would you stand? God works in a special way during this Easter season, always, every single year. And he leads people who think it's coincidence into a room or into a connection with another Christian. And he wants them to be tugged and pulled by his love. And once you're on the line of God's love, you cannot escape. Nothing else is worth it. Nothing else is worth throwing your life at when you've gotten a real taste of the love of a father, when you know that you're embraced and accepted by a God who created you and knows you better than you know yourself. When you feel that stirring in your soul and you cannot deny that there's a being that loves you and knits you in your mother's womb and when you hear the words and it connects you to the Holy Spirit, there's something amazing that happens that you cannot explain with words. It's something beyond it. And he calls you to himself. At the deepest level of you as a human being, there's something that's irked, that's called, that's moved that you can do nothing else but respond to. And if you are in the room right now and you're feeling exactly how I'm feeling, you know exactly who you are. In the first service, I made a call and 10 to 15 people said, that's me. I know exactly, you're talking to right now to me. God is using you to talk to me. I hear it and I won't deny it. And I know we're in a season of calling. And so all I know to do is when God is tugging and calling at people, when we've understood the love of God, our only job if we've never experienced it is to respond. So God asks of us. He's calling you in this moment. You're in the back row. You're in the front row. You're in the middle. You're with a group of people and nobody else feels that way. If God is calling you right now, you cannot deny it.
In the last service, I had people raise hands. In this service, I'm gonna have people take a step moving forward. If you know in this room, nothing special about this room, but if you know right now, in this moment, you know that God is calling you, I want you to boldly step out of your seat, get into the aisle, and I want you to come in front of me right now. I know that's bold, I know that's intimidating, but I'm so confident that God is speaking to some people in this room that I want you to step out of your seat, I want you to come forward to the front, and I want you to respond, not to me, I want you to respond to God. Yep, you can come right here. If you know it, you know it. If you know it, you know it, you can't deny it. Yep, if you know it, you know it, yep. If that's you, you know it. You don't have to have anybody push you or tug you. You know if God is calling you in this moment. If it's your moment, respond to the moment. Respond to the moment. And I'm gonna give it a moment, and then I'm gonna pray with you guys. But this is a holy moment when God calls people, calls people, and people respond. And it's an amazing, amazing moment because when God calls you and you respond to it, it starts a journey and you start to really live. You start to really experience this thing that's called life. Amen, yep. Come on forward. Come on forward, yep. Yep, you wanna come forward? You guys can come forward. Would you extend your hands? You need to come forward while we're praying. Come forward if you're moved. But would you extend your hands to the people in, up here who are praying, who are making a, the most important decision they've ever made in their life, to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that their life would be forever changed. So if you're up here, you're gonna be praying as you're up at the front. I want you to pray with me. There's nothing magical. You have a room full of people who are behind you of, who have done this, made this decision in their life, but I wanna be super clear with you. The prayer that I'm praying right now, there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's a decision that you make in your heart to choose and follow Jesus. And if you felt the love of the Father, you can't deny it. You feel it in this moment, you've responded to God, and he sees you in this moment. He sees you calling him, he knew you, he knew you and knows you so deeply. And so I'm gonna pray with you. So you can repeat after me, but I want you to make this your own, okay? I'm gonna give you some time, okay? Here we go. You're in the front with me. Just you could just say, God. Just like the prodigal son, I blew it. I've sinned. You know my sins. And those are wrong. I failed. but I heard you speak to me today. I feel you calling me. And I choose to trust in Jesus. And what Jesus has done on the cross, for me, I can't earn my salvation. It comes through trusting in the work that Jesus has done. Make me new right now. Bring your Holy Spirit into me. Transform me from the inside out. I believe that Jesus is God. And I give him my life. 
in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, let's, let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate together. All heaven is celebrating with us right now.